Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm a feminist, but before you get to listen to the podcast this week, I just have to tell you about the most exciting thing. We are playing the Royal Albert Hall, like the actual Royal Albert Hall 5,000 seats, on the 7th of July, Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. We'll be finished at 5.30 p.m. and that's so people can get back to wherever they've come from and be in bed by 10 because we know our audience. Now, I've got some details I'm excited to share. We're going to open with Cell Block Tango. I'm a feminist, but... It is my desire to get together with my best Guilty Feminist buddies and sing He Had It Coming. We'll be changing the words. Don't worry, it'll all be updated. That's with Kiri Pritchard-McLean and Jade Adams, both incredible comedians from the show A Musical. And we are going to have some incredible Guilty Feminist regulars doing that and other parts of the show. Susan McComb will be there. Sindhu V will be there. Jess Foster Q will be there. Felicity Ward will be there. Alison Spitter will be there. That's not all. There'll be more. We've also got some incredible actors Two I can tell you about now, Hayley Atwell from Agent Carter, who's currently in the West End in Rosmahome, who's absolutely incredible, and Adjua Ando, who uh, you may know from Doctor Who, but also did the Richard II. Uh, she was on the podcast not very long ago. Absolutely incredible actors, more to be confirmed. We're doing some really beautiful theatrical things as well as all of our amazing normal comedy. And... I have a very exciting announcement. We've got a big international comedian. I'm not allowed to say who it is, but we are flying her in especially. When I can announce that, I will. But I'm just going to say get tickets now. There'll be much more on the night, but the last thing I can currently announce, if you didn't get to see Amelia, the amazing play about Amelia Lanya, the Renaissance poet, you will, I'm sure, have heard the hype. It was an absolutely extraordinary show. Now, the last speech delivered by Claire Perkins, just absolutely brought the house down. 
every time I saw it, it just made me start crying. And Claire is coming to deliver this speech at the Royal Albert Hall. It's going to be so massive. This is not one to be missed. If you haven't seen the show, you're going to get to see the crucial part of it that lifted us all up to the heavens and back. We're also announcing a new initiative for social change. It's something everyone can get involved in. It's something that we are doing with lots of other exciting communities like the Guilty Feminists. We're all going to start holding hands and standing up to the far right, to these outbreaks of homophobia that are so frightening, standing for human rights and for compassion. We're announcing the project at the Royal Albert Hall. So be there, if at all possible, at its birth. Now, they've allowed an Amnesty International ticket link to carry on in honour of secret policemen, uh, but I think it's ending in the next 24 hours. So if you go to our website or our pinned tweet on Twitter, you'll be able to see this special offer for the Royal Albert Hall in honour of the secret policeman. If you put in the code GUILTHALL, you'll be able to get £10 off the ticket price just for today and tomorrow. But if you do that, could you please donate at least some of that 10 quid to Amnesty or go and do something for Amnesty International. Click on one of the links, write to a government, do something for human rights in exchange for that £10 discount off. We're so excited to celebrate with as many as possible of you on the 7th of July at the Royal Albert Hall. A few people I've met lately have said that they thought the tickets were sold out. Absolutely not. You can still get tickets, but they will sell out. So get in now. We cannot wait to celebrate with you. And I'm so excited about Amelia. Oh my God, it's so incredible. Let's go there together, hold hands, start off our new initiative and see some of the best comedians and actors in the world. It's going to be immense. And now the podcast. I'm a feminist, but... Today, I bought two new pair of reading glasses and I was with my birth mother in the shop and I said, these ones with the big frames are good for when I'm on stage. And she said, yes, they're good if you need to look like you know things. (laughs) And I said, exactly. (laughs) Do I look like I know things in these glasses? Yes. I do. (laughs) Correct. I'm a feminist, but... If New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern asked me to be her stay-at-home wife, I'd have an apron on before she got to, would you like to... (laughs) I I have this little fantasy that when she's tired of being Prime Minister, like when she's about 75, um, that it just passes naturally on to Neve because we've turned into, like, a matrilineal monarchy. kind of take over other countries as well and like you know she could just do it when they're between prime ministers in Australia and just like nip in there and be like yeah I got ya don't share that that's not democracy (laughs) that's a monarchy of a queen you happen to like that's not feminism I don't see a point Deborah (laughs) I'm a feminist but backstage when we were coming up the stairs I had to quickly check the name of Jacinda Ardern because I keep always confusing her name with Jamila Jamil. I always do it. The activist and actress from The Good Place. Who's also lovable and delightful, but I keep, you know, like a horse coming up to a jump. I go, don't say that. I think it's it's, it's easily confused because New Zealand's a good place as well. So you're like, oh. New Zealand's basically the heaven of everywhere. As places go at the moment in the world, it is everybody's number one nuclear bunker. (laughs) 
feminist, but after I accidentally coined the phrase fuck boyo <laughs> on the last Guilty Feminist episode I was on, I made a t-shirt with fuck boyo written on it. Nice. But I didn't wear it because it wasn't flattering. Oh. <laughs> I'll wear it. I'm a feminist, but when the new casting for The Crown television show was announced, do you guys watch The Crown? <laughs> Drama about the royal family. When the new casting was announced, my friend Richard Sandling tweeted, I'm not gonna lie, gang, Gillian Anderson as Margaret Thatcher is going to be an uphill wank. <laughs> and I laughed out loud for like a half an hour at that. And thought, same, same. I mean, that is such a brilliant turn of phrase. And I could just imagine Richard going, oh, I really fancy Gillian Anderson, but Thatcher, Thatcher. Oh, fuck boy, that's gonna be an uphill way. I'm a feminist, but after I accidentally coined the phrase fuck boyo the last Guilty Feminist episode I was on sure. and I made a t-shirt with that written on it, to do that I went to a craft shop to buy iron-on lettering because I was too embarrassed to go to a t-shirt printer's and ask them to print that for me. So, when I went to the counter of the craft shop, I jumbled up the letters <laughs> so that the elderly lady behind the counter wouldn't realise that's what I wanted to write. So I could go, oh, no, no, I'm not writing Fuck Boyo, uh, I want Buck Yofo. Uh, he's, a, he's a musician I really like. Buck Yofo? Hmm. Big fan of Buck Yofo. Yeah, sort of a Jamaican country singer. <laughs> Yofo sounds like YOLO, except yeah. you only fuck once. <laughs> Great way to characterise a one night stand, isn't it? Mm. Oh, it's a bit of a Do you see me as boyfriend material or yofo? <laughs> Live from the Q Theatre in Auckland, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Never Francis White. Yes, co-host Cal Wilson and very special guest, Lizzie Marbley, talking about being too much. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I mean, I was thinking in the dressing room, we've now both got into the phase of our lives where we're wearing colourful glasses. Yes, and I'm... An overly large colourful glasses frame... It's a certain fuck you to the world, isn't it, as a woman? Mm. And I, I've moved into the statement necklace as well. Oh. I haven't gone that far yet. My statement is, don't look at my neck. <laughs> <laughs> that is, it is a statement. And I also, like I'm you... regarding you like this, because these mm. are bifocals. You hit an age where you're just like, yeah, you're just like, fuck it. I think what the sort of uh, statement necklace, oversized coloured glasses, a chunky haircut, any of those things, it basically says, I've withdrawn from the race. <laughs> In terms of, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to hook up with you. That's what it says. But, but, I haven't withdrawn from the human race. <laughs> I now decorate for pleasure like some kind of, I feel like indigenous bird. That is... I dress like a parrot in a laundry basket. 
I'm noisy, I'm colourful. You're like, how the fuck is she going to get out of that? <laughs> I think it's because I live in Australia now. Like, native birds in New Zealand are beautiful. They're kind of quiet, they're brown, they're, like, they're not trying to prove anything, they sing beautifully, and then you get to Australia and they're all drag queens. Like, they're just amazing, like, ah! Like, they look beautiful, oh, but oh my God. You're right, actually. Yeah. yeah it's true, Australian birds are drag queens. But, it, which I'm not complaining about. I'm no, like, yeah. no, I love a bit of RuPaul. Um, so today, we're at the Q Theatre in Auckland, and I am with Cal Wilson. And we're talking about being too much, the idea of being too much. I mean, as a woman, Cal, and as a girl, have you ever felt like, oh, you're too much, oh. and tried to tone down? All the time, like, oh, you're too noisy, or you're making too much of a fuss, or, you know, like, I've deliberately dressed too much tonight. As an of the excuse theme. for the way that I always dress. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like often told, oh, settle down, or don't make such a fuss, or why are you getting so upset about that? Always mm. to return to a state of being demure and docile. And passive in a way. Mm. Because as soon as you're active as a woman and you're taking control and making decisions, all of the words like bossy and feisty come out. I always think feisty is a word reserved for women with opinions. Yes, it means cross but manageable. That's... Mm. <laughs> Feisty is not a compliment. No, but it's only used for women. Oh, I suppose, actually, no, it would be a compliment if someone was comparing you to the Canadian singer Feist. <laughs> but then also you'd be like, well, you're not very original, you're a bit feisty. And like, mm. I don't think that's what they ever mean, though. It's a bit like, it's a bit like spry is only used for old people. Yes. If somebody said, oh, you're so spry today, you'd think... Well, I'm not elderly. I'd probably go, what? What? I couldn't hear you. That's probably what I'd say. (laughs) Also, when I had a baby, I learnt that Bonnie is code for fat. Oh. Oh, you've got a Bonnie baby. It's like, yes, he's got legs like hams. Like... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there are certain words. There are certain certain codings. But I feel like, just a guilty feminist audience, if you've ever been made to feel too much and you felt it's a gendered thing, you felt like, if I were a guy, they'd say, he doesn't suffer fools... If you've ever experienced that, could you just go, mm? Mm. If you haven't experienced that, can you just go, mm? Oh, okay. (laughs) They were a couple, but I don't really believe them because they went, mm. (laughs) And I feel like that's come from somewhere. Uh, uh, Matt, you're our resident man. (laughs) Sitting in the front row. Have you ever felt too much? No. Interesting. It's interesting. Any other men in? Yeah. Yep. Have you ever felt too much? Yeah. You have. Yeah, you have? When did you feel too much? You're referring to me up here. I, yeah. <laughs> yes, the angel. <laughs> the angel Gabriel has felt too much. God has gone on and on about, oh, angel Gabriel, he never shuts up. Um, it would be hard to be the angel Gabriel because you've got to go and tell Mary that she's pregnant. She'd be like, well, why didn't your friend tell me himself? that the delivery of this holy and sacred message from our Lord and Saviour was in fact the equivalent of a boy passing you a note in maths from another boy. My friend Jehovah. (laughs) (laughs) Really likes you. He likes likes you you so so much. much. He's already knocked you up without you (laughs) realising. 
so annoying. And if Mary it's so had been too consensual, that isn't Mary it? Mary had been too much. She yes. would have gone. Well, you can tell your mate to fuck off. <laughs> and if she'd done that, most of us would be Jewish. <laughs> so sorry, man who isn't the angel Gabriel, we've got sidelined. How have you felt too much? What? No. No. Um, okay, so I need two further questions, follow-up questions. Are you single? No. Okay. So when you say you feel like you're literally in the wrong place, you're literally, literally in the wrong place. place. Yeah. I just always feel like I'm in the wrong place and I book tickets. Miles about. How did that happen? Were there just only two tickets left? Uh, we managed to get the last of the 15 tickets that got released after all, everything got sold out. So we were very lucky, and it was Jess's uh, help that managed to get the 15 tickets. Oh, well, that's a lovely story. Um, and I thought he was going to go, and it's Jess's birthday. And I and thought it was something yeah. like that, yeah. But you have felt that you've been too much at times, and another man said he felt it. Yeah. How did you feel it? So when you talk about feminism, yeah. other men think it's too much. Yes, um, and also I get like suspect stuff like, oh, you're just trying to get in their knickers. I'm like, well, there's no way to, there's, there's no way to combat that because whatever I say, I'll be like, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. You know what I mean? Well, we appreciate you being an ally. And, and I, if you're single, you won't be by the time you leave here. Now. <laughs> about the guilty feminist is it's also tinder live yes it's true it's true no i shouldn't have said that because that's what that's a version of what they said i'm so sorry i'm a feminist but Hello, Guilty Feminist. Hello, I'm Margaret K. Bond Smith. I'm Jessica Foster Q. You know us off this podcast yeah. during the middle of listening to. Yay! We are here because we want to tell you about a play that we're both in called Brexit. Don't be put off by the name. No, it's nothing um, like the real Brexit. No, it's actually really good. It knows what it is. It lasts an hour and 15 minutes. Rather than a lifetime. <laughs> a lifetime Potentially. of hell. Um, it's very sort of clever and funny, and it's quite feminist, isn't it? In the sense that we're both very... We're um, high very status, high status yeah. women in it. Neither of us are in bikinis. No, I've point. got. I've been allowed a suit for it, and yes. um, a long time ago, trouser suit. Trouser suit. Yeah, same you as me. as well. Yeah. So, there are no skirts. Yeah, in is it? It's more guilty than feminists to say feel quite sexy in a trouser suit. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I. No, did, it's just that we're not used to having any power. No, at we're all, not used so to having any exciting. power as comedians and actors. <laughs> a long time ago, I did a law degree, and I've had friends from university see the press pictures for this play and say. The road not taken. And, um, of course you could have been In a way, there. I'm basically, this is as close, being in this play is as close as I'll ever get to making my mum happy with my <laughs> career. So please come and watch it. Please come and support us. 
It's brilliant, funny, clever, clever play. And there's a special offer for Guilty Feminist listeners. All tickets are only £15 with the offer code BREXIT15. Yeah, go to kingsheadtheatre.com for tickets and we will buy you drinks afterwards. That's a bit much, that won't happen. Not guaranteed. No, not guaranteed. my too much segment so I'm going to do a performance for you and it was like a challenge that I did just before I came out that I'm going to recreate for you I was asked to sing at a show in London which I love called A Musical and it's where comedians sing show tunes and then the audience choose the comedian that they thought was best or they liked the most and then that person gets to sing an encore so I took this very seriously because I love show tunes a lot but I'm aware, like, I'm not a professional singer, and, like, you know, so am I really allowed to do this? So I went and had singing lessons. I took it incredibly, incredibly seriously. Because <laughs> I was a bit nervous about doing it. When I first did it, I was doing it a little bit apologetically. I wasn't being too much. I was being not quite enough. And I found out with show tunes, you have to be more than you think you should be in order to be enough. And if you're anything less, even if you're thinking, oh, just signal to the audience, you know you're not a professional singer. That's what you want to do. You want to be constantly going, I know I'm not like a West End singer, guys. So I don't want you watching my performance thinking that I think I am because that I know that I'm not. And so that's what you're doing physically. You're coming out slightly apologetically. So in my singing lessons, I got to that place where I was like, no, you have to be more, more than you think you are. And I was just coming from one of my singing lessons. And my agent called me and said, are you on your way to this meeting? And it's like a big deal TV meeting. And I said, I am. I'm actually going to be early. And she said, well, you're already 10 minutes late. <laughs> and I was like, no, because it's 5 o'clock. She said, no, it's 4 o'clock. And I was like, oh. But because I've been doing like a couple of hours of singing show tunes, even though I was late and would normally sort of scurry in and go, oh, my God, I'm so sorry I've kept you waiting, I just couldn't. So as I walked through the door, I was just like, come on, babe, why don't we paint that town? Like, I just felt like that. So my physicality was just fulsome. And I came, I said, sorry. Like, wasn't a dick about it. But I, I just, I came and said, I'm so sorry I've kept you waiting. I thought we were on for five. And she said, oh, don't worry at all. And she said, oh, it's given me a chance to do my emails. And I said, oh, it's always nice to have another 40 minutes, isn't it? Anyway, let's have a coffee. And if you've been doing show tunes... You can say the word sorry, but you don't mean it. <laughs> so, did you, did you really just go, I thought it was at five, or did you go, I thought it was a one, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, I did. I really wanted to. Um, so, I really got a lot out of it, and I found that my voice was a lot more resonant. I had better command of my voice, so I was like, I have to keep singing up. I have to keep doing this. So the song that I did for a musical, I don't know if you've heard, but Britain is leaving the European Union. Uh, in a little something we like to call Brexit. 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 Brexit the musical. Uh, and it's a shit show. I voted Remain because I love being in the European Union. But even the people who voted Leave did not vote for this. Our Prime Minister is much like yours, a woman. I'd rethink that statement. <laughs> well, that's, that is very much, I believe, where the comparison ends. Um, I mean, our Prime Minister is very right-wing. For a long time before she was Prime Minister, she was Home Secretary and did everything she could to make the life of refugees uh, very difficult and to keep out, even minors. So I decided, because she is currently brokering our no deal, 
uh, to sing my a musical song as Theresa May. And the she's a great dancer. There's some fantastic footage. Yes. Have any of you seen her dancing? Yes. yes. So she has short grey hair. So I'm just going to. Um, I'm just getting into character now. Okay. Is that is that on straight? Okay. Sort of. And also, she's famous for wearing leopard skin shoes. In a slightly correlative ill way, you think she's killed the leopard herself. Okay. So I'm a feminist, but. <clears throat> uh, I have plunged a proportion, a large proportion of British women into poverty through my policies of austerity. Guilty pleasures. Uh, right, are we ready? Are we ready? All right. Bye bye my Lieber Herr. 
I leave her hair, it was a fine affair, but now it's over. And the way you stick her, I need that obey. You're better off without me. You get it without me. Hello to all of the American and Canadian fans. I have some exciting news for you. My movie Say My Name is out on the 14th of June. It's in selected theatres across the country and you can stream it no matter where you are. I'm sorry, UK, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer for streaming. But if you're in America or Canada, it's your lucky day. There are screenings across America and you can find out where those are at SayMyNameMovie.com. That's SayMyNameMovie.com. But if you are in Los Angeles, go to Lamley, Santa Monica on the 14th of June or Arena Cine Lounge in Hollywood on the 15th of June. Both of those screenings will have Q&As after them with Jay Stern, the director, and Lisa Brenner, the lead actress and the producer of the film. Please go along and support. Please, 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 please. If you don't support films made by women, studios assume that those films don't make money. So please, please, please go out and support Say My Name, stream it at home. Now, if you watch it over the opening weekend, which would really help us out, and it is a funny, charming, delightful movie, you're going to love it, then I'm going to do an Instagram Live Q&A from my Instagram account, dfdubs, D-F-D-U-B-Z. I'm going to do that 8.30 p.m. New York time and 8.30 p.m. Los Angeles time on Monday, the 17th of June. And I've done it at that time, so everyone who hasn't got to watch it over the weekend can watch it on Monday at 7 p.m., whether you're on the East Coast or the West Coast. Give me a follow and I'll be talking about the movie live. So I will see you 8.30 p.m. New York time and then 8.30 p.m. LA time. I don't know what that means if you live in Kansas, but I guess you guys can figure it out. You're good at math. And now I'm going to trail you a little bit of the episode that we did on Say My Name with Lisa and Jay, an episode that will be coming out soon. Here's a taster. So I really want to talk about how this came to pass. We discovered today... This weird Bermuda Triangle of Hamilton the Musical without which there would be no movie. And I don't know if you know all of this, Jay. He doesn't know this. I mean, I know all of it, but I know You know some of it. Yeah, Yeah, I know you know my part. I don't think you know Lisa's part. So it was probably about four years ago when Hamilton premiered on Broadway in New York. And I went to see it. And a huge depression washed over me. I had been an actress for many years, doing lots of little guest starring roles in lots of different TV shows. I've done some movies here and there, but just nothing was really happening. Then I had children, and then I turned 40. Can I just say that's Mm -hmm. a very female pitching of your career? You were in The Patriot, which was a huge blockbuster, and you were the lead in it. You were like, if I had a guy up here, like, oh... So I was doing movies, like big ones, blockbusters, but uh, I wasn't fulfilled deep in my heart. That's what he would say. I was doing bits and pieces and guest starring roles. Like, 
Sir, pitch that again. I know, Tell but the us. Patriot is really anti-Britain. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> know no, your audience, people. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention that. Oh, because it's all like the British yeah, are coming? it's the whole American Revolution. Yeah. We're over it. Okay, really. all right, cool. <laughs> too soon, guys, too soon. <laughs> they revolted? What? <laughs> Listen, honestly, the way it's worked out, you're welcome to it. <laughs> like, the current administration. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so, so you, were, you were doing films and television yeah, yeah. and good roles. Yeah. And then you had children. Yes, and then I turned 40. And then everyone finds out you turn 40. And then you get nothing except maybe you go for the role of the crying wife or the best friend but no more lead roles and stuff unless you're like a huge huge star so anyway so I see Hamilton and this sadness comes over me because I was so blown away by it that I said what am I doing with my life I have so much more I want to do and I decided then and there I want to make my own thing I need to do this for myself because I love what I do, and it's just been so unfulfilling. I was so amazed when I heard this from Lisa today, because this film, certainly Say My Name, would not have been made without Hamilton, because I was in New York with Tom Selinski, my husband, on the last week when the original cast was there. I'd seen it before because a friend of mine had a friend in it, so I was like, we're never going to see this original cast ever again unless we go, like, let's just kind of suck it up and find a way to get tickets and like pay over the odds or whatever. And Tom was like, this is ridiculous. Like, why are we doing this? And the only time we could get tickets was a matinee. And then we had to go straight to the airport. And Meg, Jay's wife, we were old friends, said, I'm going to have to come with you and mind your suitcases at a cafe because you've got huge suitcases. You can't take them into a Broadway theater. There's no room for those. So she very kindly did that. And because of that, because of my desperate desire to see Hamilton before the cast changed, on the way in the taxi, Meg said, Jay's looking for a script and it's just making conversation and it's got this element, this element, this element. I said, that sounds like Say My Name. And she said, yeah, but that script's not available. I was like, oh, it's available. <laughs> it's the most available script. I mean, that's what it's mainly got going for it. It's availability. <laughs> she was like, well, he tried to make it. I said, yeah, but it was optioned in, a bunch of men have optioned it over 10 years and it's got me a lot of other work, but no one's actually made it. So Jay then said, yeah, I'd love to make that script. So he sent it to Lisa if we hadn't gone to Hamilton, because Tom was like, I can't believe you spent this money on these tickets. And I was like, I know. But if I had not, we wouldn't have got to make a movie. So see how right I was. So yeah, without and, Lynn Mamoru. see Rendell, Hamilton, it's, it's playing now, I think. <laughs> Jay didn't like it that much. Oh, I did, um, it was great. Today is an award-winning columnist, musician, and activist. She's also the author of the book That F Word: Growing Up Feminist in Aotearoa. Please welcome to the stage the wonderful Lizzie Marbling. <laughs> Lizzie, tell us about just tell us a little bit about you because we have a lot of international listeners. Everyone here knows you. You're massively famous. But could you tell us for our international listeners a little bit about who you are and what that F word is about? Absolutely. Um, so my name is Lizzie Marvely and as you said, I am a musician 
and a feminist activist and a writer. And I grew up in a little place called Otsurua, which is about two and a half hours out of Auckland. Um, I have since moved to the Big Smoke. I got into music when I was very young. I was in this kind of weird position where I suddenly found myself being reported on in the media, which was very strange when you're a 17-year-old from Road of Vegas. Um, and then after a few years of that, I started to realise that the way that the media reports on young women and the voices that it gives to young women or like doesn't give to young women um, is pretty fucked up. And so that's why I started writing the things that I do. That's why I started um, writing that F word, the book, my column, and also started a website called villainess.com for young women to have a platform. Um, because I just think that... Thank you. I just think that, I mean, you guys must have amazing young women in your lives, right? Who here knows an amazing kick-ass young woman? Exactly, and I just, I've been so lucky to go around schools quite a lot and talk to amazing teenagers here in New Zealand, and I'm just always stunned. I just think, my God, you know, when I was 16, I was just too busy listening to, you know, old reruns of Barbie Girl on repeat and worrying about why I felt like I was hideous. But they've got all these incredible views and these amazing things to offer to the world and yeah so that's basically why I started writing and speaking out and I just wanted to create a bit more space for these young women to just be a bit too much. In the introduction of the book you actually say you were told you were too much. Cal you've just brought it up there with the efficiency of a personal assistant almost yeah. It was a bit mad men. I'm a little bit excited by it to be honest. (laughs) I feel like John Hamm now and I feel like Draper. To be honest, you always feel like John Hamm, don't you? <laughs> well, I do feel like... Yes, I feel, I feel like a bit of John Hamm, sure. Let's get on... Let's, Cal, you seem to have it right there. Why don't you read it? Certainly, Miss Frances White. Don't, don't need... So this is, this is what really struck me about your book, um, Lizzie, when I started reading it, because I've read it and Deborah hasn't. Uh, um, <laughs> I was going to be interviewing Lizzie, or I obviously would have, and I will now. But in the it's, meantime, you're going to just read yeah, so it's, it's, a fa- it's fantastic. But what I loved about it was how strong you are in your viewpoint and the, the strength of your words. I don't think I would have been confident enough at your age to have stuck to my guns and, and talked about the way I felt the way that many, you Many, many, many sleepless nights. Mm. Well, it's amazing. And this is the thing that really struck me when I started reading it. So you told a story. When I was 10, my teacher told my parents that I needed to be brought down a peg. She voiced what I'd already long suspected. I was too much. Too loud, too difficult, too different. My parents were outraged, but I was ashamed. I was set apart from the other kids in an environment where to be other is about the worst thing you can be. Today, when I speak at schools around the country, I meet girls who are going through the same thing. When I listen to their frustrations, I wonder how long it will take before being a young woman who knows her own mind is unremarkable. Have you ever heard a young man described as being knowing his own mind? I wonder when strong young women will finally be celebrated and encouraged rather than knocked down. It's strange that you're right here and I literally just read out your words. That was a bit meta. <laughs> and now, you said that you were being criticised in the media when you were 17. Yeah, so when I was um, about 16, that's when I started touring around, singing around the country. Um, one of my uncles was a very, very famous um, New Zealand singer, Sir Howard Morrison, and he took me around the country performing when I was very young. 
And then when I uh, released my first record, I think I would have been in um, year 13 or seventh form, so 18 years old. And yeah, there was just this very strange way that we were treated as young women in the media. And, and I remember you'd be asked questions like, so the Prime Minister at the time was Helen Clark, um, Auntie Helen, who we all love. Um, and she had been texting during a speech the Queen was giving. And I remember being on national television, being interviewed by Paul Henry, who we also all love. Um, and oh, I'm getting the feeling we don't love him. Piers Morgan. Oh, see Piers Morgan. Okay, I've got it. I couldn't possibly say. Um, and he asked me what I thought of our Prime Minister texting while the Queen was giving a speech. So on one hand, you were kind of asked your opinion, and then whatever opinion you gave was never going to be the right opinion. And I just thought, you know, it was either that or it was Dolly Magazine or Girlfriend or Cosmo or Cleo where you were told, you know, that you needed to be on this diet or you needed to give this kind of blowjob. And I just felt as a teenager it wasn't really speaking to me. Mm. And so you've become an LGBT activist and also a Maori activist. Yes. Well, I'm just a Maori person who's an activist. Yes, okay. And you are now speaking on behalf of various groups that you belong to, tribes you belong to and also ones that you feel you need to advocate for because there are power injustices. How did you get beyond that point as a young woman being told, or as a child being told, by this teacher said to your parents you were too much? Mm. I think the context was that when I was young, it's probably very uh, understandable for people who know my writing particularly, I was just a little bit bossy and just a little bit strident and a bit stroppy. And I just had views that I was doing things and the things that I was doing would be labelled if I were a boy as showing leadership potential. Right. I think I was just a bit hard to handle in the classroom, a bit disruptive. So that's why she, I think, said to my parents, you know, that I needed to be brought down a peg and kind of put in my proper place, which is quiet and docile and, you know, very peaceful as all little girls are made out of sugar and spice and all things nice, um, which is bullshit. How did your parents react to that? Oh, they were fuming they were absolutely furious I mean I've been lucky. with the teacher with the teacher not right, with me you know I mean god they raised me to be this shrew so um <laughs> you know it's all their fault but no they were furious but I was just really ashamed I mean I was probably eight nine and I just I felt like I was wrong everything about me was wrong and I needed to fit into this kind of box of what I was meant to be and I've never forgotten that feeling and I think as mm. as women often we've all had that feeling at some point in our life and some men, as we've Yes, absolutely, as I was listening to earlier. Um, but I think that it's even more important, uh, well, I feel that it's even more important for me now. I'm, I'm very privileged to be in this position to be able to have a platform and have a voice and speak out. And um, while I certainly try hard not to speak for anybody because I can't speak for anyone other than myself, you know, I like to be able to try and create some room and some context and some discussion. And also, most importantly, like with Villainess, with the website, to create space for other young women to be part of the conversation, be leading the conversation, putting their views forward. Because being made to feel like you're too much is just crap. And I think we just need to fight back against it as much as we can. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Do you think the singing helped you have to take that stage and find a stillness and a power? But like, I'm going to be seen to stage, fuck you, Miss Mowbray. <laughs> you never forget the names, do you? No. The ones that say those things mm. and it's like a knife. You Mr. Never... Pick. <laughs> they, I'm not, I haven't just made up the name of a bird. I, like, no. But, but Mr. I, Pick, he was the one that leaned over my desk and went, you have a very unfortunate laugh. Wow. I, was like, I was laughing during a maths class when we were working together and he came all the way from his desk and came over and told me that my laugh was awful but luckily I knew it wasn't um, well you know what you do about your laugh you've just got your laugh there's nothing it you does sound do. like this like, <laughs> 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 well, I didn't want to say anything Cal but <laughs> yeah Mr East for me he tortured me for a year and just constantly undermined me I wasn't really a particularly loud child at that time. I was only about 10. And I wasn't somebody who was always... I mean, I did perform mine hair every morning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I insisted upon that. But other than that, I mean, there wasn't really a lot about me that was sort of asking for attention. And yet... Deborah, why are you wearing a bowler hat in class again? (laughs) Come on, baby. (laughs) This is geography. Um, I remember I used to sometimes in a really sort of respectful academic way I used to want to debate something and discuss it and he just wanted to squash that he really wanted to squash that I don't think he was a good teacher I do sometimes think about him his name's John East I still think he lives on the Gold Coast in Australia if anybody knows him and knows that he he hasn't really ever found happiness and wants to tell me that that would be great Um, listen Wonderfully cheerful malevolence there. <laughs> now I'm sitting guessing whether it was Mr. Pick. I'd be okay with it. I don't think he was a happy person. What were the steps that you think got you from that feeling that shame and also being overly scrutinised as a teenager by the media because of singing to this place now where you feel you can write a book and you are setting up a website for younger women and girls? What was the process that got you there? Well, I took this weird kind of detour and went and became a classical crossover artist for a few years. Um, And that's actually kind of instrumental. There were two things that were really instrumental to it. Uh, When I was 15 or 16, I won a scholarship to go to a private school here in Auckland, which moving from Rotorua to King's College was like moving to fucking Mars. Um, (laughs) And it was just the most baffling kind of experience of my life. Um, King's is kind of like Eton, and it was originally a boys' school and then started accepting girls in year 12 or sixth form. Actually, back in 1980, people still say, oh, has King started accepting girls in the last five years? But no, it's been, you know, a long time. And being in that environment, it was the kind of place where uh, I remember vividly on my first or second day, 
going into the dining hall, very Hogwarts, and lining up for breakfast and seeing these boys that were holding up pieces of toast and there was something kind of on them and I looked over and I realised that they were numbers and the boys had taken a knife and some Vegemite and they'd written a number out of ten on these pieces of toast and they were holding them up as the girls walked past ranking how attractive or not the new girls were. So being in that kind of environment, um, you know, it's a very kind of conservative environment. at least make proper cards. (laughs) (laughs) I just think, put the effort in, boys. If you are going to objectify to that level, don't insult me with your Vegemite But it's very Kiwi ingenuity, you know? We just use what's available. We but, with our misogyny. You know, like you're saying that Kings has accepted girls, but it hasn't really accepted girls, well, has it? Like, quite, quite, indeed. Um, so, yeah, being in that environment, it was quite a conservative school, but I came out quite radicalised. Um, so that happened, and then I became this classical crossover artist, and classical crossover, I don't know if any of you have actually ever listened to it, It's this kind of very pretty, very nice-sounding music, and I was created by my record label into this quite palatable, I suppose, and marketable commodity um, that would flounce around on stages and, uh, you know, wearing these big poofy dresses. And I love music, and I've always loved music, and I've always loved performing, and I was very grateful that I had all of those experiences. But what I realised when I kind of got to about... 22, and we were talking about making another classical crossover album, was that I actually would rather have scooped my eyeballs out with spoons. Um, and I just Good realized, name for the album. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I just realised that it was, it so wasn't who I was. And I'd become this caricature of myself that was just very um, inoffensive and kind of insipid. It was a big wake-up call. And so from that point onwards, really, has been like this kind of deconstructing of all of the conditioning and crap I've been very lucky to have some amazing kick-ass women around me. Um, some of the women I spoke to for my book, like Hilary Barry and Ali Moore. Amazing, just Kiwi legends who I've been able to talk to and grow under their guidance over the years. I've just always felt very encouraged by the women in my life, the older women in my life who I adore, to just, you know, say what the fuck I think. And it was just revolutionary when I started doing that. Mm. And now I also have legions of trolls on Twitter that just follow my every move, and that's also been a revolution of some kind of thought. Yes, yeah. I mean, that is a problem for anybody who's in the public eye now. What kind of music do you make now? I make music that I write myself. I that's was... interesting, because it's an extent... Now you've really taken that voice. Yeah. And you've made it 3D by writing your own. Yeah, absolutely. But what I have found, you know, admittedly over the last couple of years is that everything's been so chaotic. I'm also a producer. We make web series and documentaries and stuff and the book and the column and the website and it's all been a bit much. So I haven't actually been able to make much music recently. But I certainly hope to make the musical version of that F word. (laughs) Yes. That F word, the musical. I don't know if you heard my... But I think that we should cast you for the lead yeah. role in that effort. I, <laughs> I don't want to be the lead role. I want a really good feisty cameo. Right. Feisty. Yeah, feisty. Yeah, I said it. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking like a Mama Morton mm-hmm. or a oh, Joanne and Company yeah. Legacy Lunch. One really big number that I can do characterfully so it doesn't really matter if I get a bit pitchy because mm-hmm, people will think mm-hmm. it's part of the performance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just one or two songs yeah, I that I come, I come in, notes. steal the show, yeah. fuck off back to the dressing room. I don't know, I'm just brainstorming here. You be the lead. So you I'm... want to be have a cameo in my show where I'm the lead and steal the show and fuck off back to the dressing room? Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's well, it in a nutshell. How about fucking no? 
what they want. And so I've just done that. I think, I think you've got other women. No, no, you've got the lead and you've written it. But you're going to steal the show. I mean, I say that metaphorically. <laughs> she made it to make literal. myself feel good. Look, while they're hashing that out, I've got a book out. And <laughs> <laughs> so, I think what, the, the part that I really, like so much of your book resonated with me in terms of the feeling too much and, and what I really loved was that you you own your successes. Like, you're not like, oh, and then I did a little bit of this and I did a little bit of that. Kind of like, you're just like, I did this, I was fucking great at school, I went overseas, I did... She Are you saying it. that she doesn't describe her success the way Louis Armstrong would? <laughs> Wonderful time! <laughs> it's also the voice I used to do for my old guy. Ah, need some tuna! <laughs> Look, the cat! That's the way the cat can't. Anyway, that's not what you're talking about. <laughs> Sorry, go on. I'm not the, the only person Lizzie. that does the voices for their animals. I'm not. No, no, we definitely do them. Lizzie, Lizzie, so, no, so Lizzie owns her success. Yeah, so yeah. I, I love that, but I also love that you talked to Hilary Berry and um, mm. Ellie Moore, and Hilary had to suggest going to the Human Rights Commission mm-hmm. to get paid properly yep, like to be taken seriously like blows my mind but i just loved how honest and how funny they were and that they were so generous in telling those stories as well you know like i've had experiences in the media of you know being gaslit or whatever and to go oh it happens to every, like i'm not the only one that's come off worse in a situation or, yeah. or you know like it's really heartening isn't that just like the universal rule of being a woman in the media yeah yeah or just you know like the times i've sat at a boardroom table and made a suggestion and then a man has made the same suggestion a moment later and literally no one has heard what I've said. Mm-hmm. Like, just that. Uh, on that, an older woman that I worked with gave me a tip. When you're in that situation and you have something to say, you uh, drop something on the table, you knock a glass over, and when everyone turns around to see what a dick you've just been, you go, here's my great idea, because you've got their attention. <laughs> I don't really feel I should have to spill water to get men to listen to me. I feel like, I mean, I'm very happy to drop something. I'm not spilling what... But, uh, oh, but you've made that sound like, I've, dro- I've just dropped my hat, Mr. Ham. <laughs> and That's just going to fantasy. pick up my hat. That's... I'm standing in Twitter. I'm just going to pick up my tuna now, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Ham. I like ham. Is this your cat flirting with Don Draper? <laughs> um, we can workshop we work that scenario. We can workshop that scenario. <laughs> too much I feel like we've already been too much (laughs) but I think feminism should invite being too much more often and so with that in mind would you like to hear some stand-up comedy Wilson, I'm really not. Um, I was in the Planet of the Apes uh, in the 70s. I wrote episodes of Magnum PI and I'm quite an annoyed record shop owner in Brisbane. Uh, also a doomsday prepper. <laughs> Who's written a book? Because I've just written a book. Uh, uh, oh, a plug. Um, I've just written a book and my dad looked for it online and found the American man who's quite intense about surviving the apocalypse. And he didn't think that was for school-aged children. So who are too much. When I think about this, the first woman that I thought who was too much was Madonna. I thought about how when Madonna arrived, we were like, oh my goodness, she's not embarrassed about herself and she's 
she seems to be enjoying sex and that's a little bit off isn't it like she just seems sort of so powerful and and what I admire about Madonna is that she has continued to be Madonna the whole time like even as she's got older she's still Madonna she's still out there flaunting her own sexuality and uh, people have got cross about that as she's got older they felt that she should just do what every nice woman does and just go invisible and fade into the background and maybe get some more cats and just shut up and uh, she she's people are like oh she should start acting her age well should she should she start acting her age? Oh, she should put it away. Oh, she should start acting her age. No one says that about the Rolling Stones, do they? No one says that. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are out there on stage strutting around like two pieces of old bacon. <laughs> no one worries about that. She gets criticised for having a family. Oh, she's always adopting orphans for attention. Like, she's just, she's just giving people a lot. Like, no one, no one, no one comments about the fact that Mick Jagger has children that are younger than his great-grandchild. No one comments on the fact that he is just always impregnating women. It's like when you've gone on holiday and you forgot to buy a present, so you get one at the airport, it's like, I forgot to get you anything, I've got you a baby. Like, he just always... That man scatters more seed than an angry budgie. So I was thinking about women from history, and then I decided to think about women from fiction, because I can do what I like. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to cover an awkward segue. So I, I was thinking about how fairy tales would have been so different if the women in them had been too much. Like if they'd not even just been a little much, but if they'd been like a lot much, like a whole much. If they'd been not as passive as they were. Like Cinderella, like famously she was a drudge for her shit stepsisters, right? But what if Cinderella didn't go to the ball and instead she uses that time alone in the house to get her stuff together. She leaves town, she starts her own cleaning company and she's massively successful because of her, she's got an incredible team of mice and she has pumpkin scented cleaning products. And it's an amazing gimmick and she just makes loads and loads of cash and years later she reconciles with her stepsisters after she takes them to a guilty feminist show. <laughs> And they realise they've been behaving like shits and that women don't need to compete against each other for the attention of a man. And then in an even bigger twist, the prince comes to work for her because the country disassembles the monarchy. And <laughs> he falls in love with her and for her actual personal proper real qualities, not her ability to jam her foot into a glass stiletto. <laughs> which is impractical and dangerous. And she turns him down because work romances are never wise. <laughs> and also, her fairy godmother has introduced her to Glinda the Good Witch and they've hooked up. Snow White, uh, she's a beautiful young girl, she's got a wicked stepmother who's also quite hot, uh, she's got a magic mirror, mirror mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all, every day the mirror goes, it's you queen, and then one day Snow White just gets a little bit too hot and then it's her, and so the stepmother does the sensible thing and decides to have her killed. Uh, and so the huntsman takes her out into the forest but he can't kill her because she's too pretty, I mean it's good to have a great reason not to murder someone, isn't it, just that they're attractive, and so he doesn't kill her. But the stepmother finds out because the mirror is still like, it's still Snow White. And what the huntsman could have done is said, no, no, she's dead, but you know, you still look all right for a couple of days before things start to go really wrong. Um, too much? <laughs> so what happens is she ends up living with the seven dwarves and the stepmother finds out she's still alive and she poisons her with an apple. And Snow White falls into a coma. And what do the seven dwarves do when they find her in a coma? They don't take her to a hospital. They put her in a glass coffin. Like, guys, like, essentially, instead of getting medical help, you've put her in a terrarium. Like, she, she's not a lizard. I mean, and one of the dwarves is literally called Doc. Like, he should. 
actually a doctor, I'm a vet, but I've got aspirations. Like, you know, like, I think all she needs is a heat lamp and a rock. Like, and then the dogs leave her outside, presumably to combat the condensation. It, like, she just... So they've gone off to work and they've left her outside and she's in her glass coffin and a prince finds her. And what do you do when you find a woman in a coma in the forest? You keep her. You just keep her. You don't try and get help, you just keep her. And then you get one of your staff to take her back to the castle. He trips, the apple dislodges from her throat and she wakes up. And then what happens? The prince proposes to her. Like, that's quite a wake-up call, isn't it? Like, you've been in a coma for a few months, you wake up to someone going, I love you, will you marry me? And you're like, oh shit, I've got terrible morning breath. Like, what? when things started to go wrong with her stepmother is gone to a lawyer, got illegally emancipated and just lived her own life. But instead she's lying in a box with seven tiny men in a forest. <laughs> then we go to Hansel and Gretel, abandoned by the dad at the behest of a wicked stepmother. Once he put a lot of wicked stepmothers in fairy tales or just one woman who keeps going around and marrying widowers. Like just one <laughs> Like if that was now, she would be on the front page of the Daily Mail with a head like, stereo step! Mum, like, and then the big quote from the king, like, oh, I, I, she fooled us all. I never normally abandoned my children, but she was just so hot. <laughs> so Hansel and Gretel. There's a woman living on her own in a cottage made of gingerbread that she's presumably designed and built herself. And then Hansel and Gretel turn up, and instead of acknowledging her as the renowned biscuit architect <laughs> that she so clearly is, they start chowing down on her house, and she's all like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm supposed to be filming Grand Designs next week. <laughs> and they're standing there with their mouths full of door panel, and she's like, I put my heart and soul into this college. I spent 18 months living on site in a leaky marzipan caravan. raised to be so threatened by each other, they would have been able to recognise each other's skills, like the witch, whose name is Janelle, by the way, but no one asks. <laughs> she would have realised Gretel's resourcefulness, and Gretel would have admired the witch for being a self-sufficient single older woman ploughing her own furrow, which now that I say it out loud, uh, sounds oddly sexual. <laughs> I hadn't intended it, but I'm going to follow down that road, because yes, she's an older woman who spent years learning her own body, and why should she be ashamed of fulfilling her own needs? And why shouldn't she enjoy trying out new things with the farmer that lives down the road? So, ploughing her own furrow in a society that believes she's intrinsically holding no worth because she's not young and attractive and marriageable or actually married. If Gretel had been a bit more much, she would have understood the mentoring opportunity. She would have worked with Janelle and after an extended apprenticeship building bread houses, which was mutually beneficial to the both of them, they would have opened a chain of tool bakeries called Hot Cross Bunnings. Uh, for UK listeners, that's B and Q, uh, but it stands for bread and quiche. <laughs> I haven't forgotten about Hansel. Um, he refused an apprenticeship, went backpacking for a while, came back, couldn't really settle. Who gives a fuck? Uh, <laughs> so, I was thinking about how, how much Shakespeare. Shakespeare could have been improved if women were a bit more much in Shakespeare. I was, I was intending to rewrite The Taming of the Shrew, uh, which is like the most problematic Shakespeare, which is sort of all about gaslighting a woman and humiliating her and then, yes, she wants to marry you. I was going to rewrite it so that uh, Kate gives Petruchio the flick, gets a zoology degree and domesticates a species of small angry mammals, so it literally is The Taming of the Shrew. But <laughs> I got sidetracked on researching shrews. Uh, I didn't really know, I found out so many interesting 
interesting facts about shrews, so listen to this. <laughs> I can do what I like, I'm too much. <laughs> the producer's going, this is an hour show, Wilson, hurrying along. So this is what I found out. Well, rodents have gnawing and sizes that grow throughout life, shrews, teeth wear down, a problem made much more extreme because they lose their milk teeth before birth. What the fuck are they doing that they have teeth before they're born? Like, that is, that is like hardcore shrewism. Like, what are, like, that is... Kudos, shrews, that's what I'm saying. Like, they're also fiercely territorial. They drive off rivals and come together only to mate. Female shrews can have up to 10 litters a year with gestation periods of 17 to 32 days. They often become pregnant within a day or two of giving birth. Male shrews are assholes. It's <laughs> no wonder they're trying to live alone. Like, for fuck's sake, give the woman a break. Like, let her put her feet up and don't come near her. Uh, shrews live from 12 to 30 months, but with that many kids, I imagine it feels like decades. Shrews are unusual in a number of respects. Unlike most mammals, some species of shrews are venomous. Amazing, pregnant and venomous. That is a dangerous combination, isn't it? Like, oh, don't you make me angry or I will poison you. Uh, I love that uh, one of the chemicals that you can extract from shrew venom may be potentially useful in the treatment of high blood pressure or useful in the treatment of neuromuscular diseases and migraines. The shrew is a magical, angry animal. Like, what a fantastic... Don't tame that motherfucker. Like, you can't. Like, it's just out there. They're almost worldwide, they're distributed almost worldwide, but only New Guinea, Australia and New Zealand have no native shrews. Uh, obviously, or we, we would have been called Shrew Zealand uh, <laughs> and Papua New Guinea pig. <laughs> uh, and in terms of species diversity, the shrew is the fourth most successful mammal family, rivaled only by the muroid rodent family, the bat family and the Kardashians. <laughs> but the Shakespearean story, that could have been so different if a woman had been so much more much would be Romeo and Juliet. It's sold to us as a great love story. But a great love story isn't one where both people die. <laughs> like, that's not a good end to a love story. A great love story is one where you both want to be better people because the other person makes you feel like you want to be the best person, the best version of yourself that you can be. A great love story is one where you're on the couch and the cat's asleep on your knee and your partner goes, do you want some chocolate? And all you have to say is, law of the cat. And he knows that it's illegal to move a sleeping cat. <laughs> And he gets the chocolate from the fridge where he keeps it because he knows it tastes better because you told him that and he's <laughs> not a fool. A great love story is when the two people or three people or a mutually agreed upon number of people respect and love each other for who they are and nobody tries to change anybody unless that person is too drunk to change themselves <laughs> and has requested that you put them into their pyjamas. That is a great love story. So Juliet had been a bit more too much. Imagine how the balcony scene would have gone. She's out there, she's on the balcony, she's having a cheeky cigarette. <laughs> she's a teenager, you can't tell her what to do. Maybe, you know, maybe, okay, maybe it's not a cigarette, like maybe she's vaping, like she might be vaping out of a bat or so. I don't know what they have, I don't know what they have, but she's vaping out of a bat on the balcony, she's got too much eyeliner on, she's written I Heart Queen in permanent quill on her arm. She's trying to take a selfie, but she can't hold the painter up for long enough to get a good one. <laughs> and then there's this sort of rustling in the bushes, and for a start, she doesn't know if it's a hedgehog or if it's just someone calling for Russell. <laughs> and then Romeo appears, and he says the immortal lines, but soft, what light through yonder window? I don't know, I've made him sound like a radio announcer, but that's what he is. 
But soft, what light through yonder window breaks? Tis the east, and Juliet is the sun. And Juliet, this Juliet, there's so much Juliet says. Son? Are you misgendering me, Romeo? I'm a daughter, not a son. And he goes, no, no. No, you misunderstand me. Well, he's a bit more formal, so he goes, thou misunderstandeth, sweet Juliet. Poetry's lark hath compelled my boyish heart to compare thee to the fiery orb that doth blaze across our skies within the regular hours of daylight each day. I did smearly posit that thy heavenly body was the heavenly body, hence tis the east and Juliet is the sun. And Juliet rolls her eyes and she's like, oh, settle down, Romeo. It's not the sun, it's a sensor light. Now, obviously, to be historically accurate, a sensor light would just be an elderly servant kind of lashed to a trellis with a candle on his head. Dad's been worried about prowlers, which was just you climbing up the ivy last time. Like, you could at least have taken your shoes off, you fuck the jasmine. <laughs> anyway, what do you want? And he's like, obviously I don't have time to go through the whole play. <laughs> so Romeo just says, Long story short, let us in secret hasten to the friar. Mary, have a series of misunderstandings, then dispatch ourselves in that house of God, tragically, romantically, beautifully, with the sting of a blade and poison. And... Juliet looks at him and says, Sweet Romeo, are thou out of thy fucking mind? <laughs> a, I like you and everything, but suicide? Really? And B, I'm 13, I'm not marrying anyone. <laughs> and then she says, C, you also murdered my cousin last week, so you're not exactly my first choice in a stable husband. <laughs> I mean, your methods of conflict resolution are frankly appalling. And then she goes, I mean, we can absolutely pash, but that's it, and I'm not touching you on the bodkin. Also, when you said we should go to the fryer, I was totally expecting chips. <laughs> and the play ends with Romeo pleading with Juliet to marry him again and she swats him off the balcony with a leaf rake. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, I think we should be too much. I think we should be more. I would like to see more heroines who are too much. Like, we've got to break through the ceiling of the glass coffin. Like, if you want to vape a bat on your balcony, vape a fucking bat on your balcony. And I can guarantee that it's not a sentence that has ever been said before. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Jessica Regan here from the Big Speeches Workshop. You might remember an episode last year called Women Fighting on Stage and Screen, episode 118, where Jessica Hines talked about her brilliant film, The Fight. And I talked about a play I was in called The Sweet Science of Bruising that looked at female underground Victorian boxing. I am delighted to tell you that The Sweet Science of Bruising is back and it's bigger and better than ever. It's on at the Wilton's Music Hall, the venue of our dreams, running for the whole month of June. It is the fierce, fabulous, feminist play of my dreams. And it has a female writer, a female director and a largely female cast. So if you would like to support some feminist art anytime soon, please do come along. It is a wonderful, passionate, beautiful cathartic play and I really think you'd enjoy it. So tickets start at 12.50 and I'd love to see you there. Thank you. Bye.
finish quite soon, so could you please tell us about your website mm -hmm. and how we can access it and who the target is? Absolutely. So the website is www.villainess.com. I'll spell that. So V-I-L-L-A-I-N-E-S-S-E.com. And the target is really anyone. Basically, no filter, no bullshit media for young women. And... If anyone out there wants to contribute to the site, there's a little icon that's a little pencil which you can just click it's up the top of the site and send us an email and send us a submission. Um, and really it's just all about creating space and a platform for young women particularly, not exclusively though, to, to have a voice and to just, you know, put some stuff out there into the world and stand up for what they believe in and speak out and all that kind of stuff. Well, that sounds absolutely incredible. We will all be clicking on that link and we will also all be buying that F word. Can, could you please tell us a little bit about your book? Oh, yes, I have a book out. Um, uh, you help? You haven't mentioned it. <laughs> I've written a children's book, and uh, it's called George and the Great Bum Stampede. Uh, so it's, it's not quite like your book, Lizzie. Um, I feel like my but it, it's a bum for, It's for people with bums or people who know bums. Uh, it's about a family. The main character is a boy because it started as bedtime stories. I made it for my son. And the mum is an inventor. She's called Professor Pippa Pepperton. Uh, she's got a husband called Phil Pop Popper Pepperton. She's got uh, three daughters called Pumpernickel Pepperton, Paprika Pepperton, Pilates Pepperton. Then she has a son called Poco Pepperton. And then there's George. <laughs> and uh, George is the youngest, but he's not the smallest. That's Poco, because Poco had an unfortunate incident with his mum's shrink ray. And he now is the size of a lemon. Uh, so Professor Pippa Pepperton is an inventor, she invents things, uh, the kids take hold of the inventions, pandemonium ensues, at one point there are 500 bums loose in a town. <laughs> it sounds like a great Saturday night. Uh, it is available, uh, this is, this is uh, genuinely one of the things that I am the most excited about, it's in the Scholastic Book Club. Oh. As a child, when book club came, I used to love that. It was, a, it was the best thing the about best school, thing ever. isn't it? It's amazing. And what, what I really love is they put it in book club, and you get a free bum with it. Oh. <laughs> what kind Who's? of bum? A, a squeezy bum. Right. Oh. I haven't even seen one yet, and I don't know how they're doing the front part. Like I've seen the cheek, but I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's like it's just like a little peach. I guess. I really hope it's like a little peach. Like, <laughs> it's not so, if you haven't seen it, you cannot be sending out. Sending it out to schools. I hope I'm telling a you. thing on the bum that says you have to ask it first before you squeeze it. Well, obviously, it's a consensual bum. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a. Um, it's the last time we'll ever be hearing from Cal Wilson. Cancelled. When, when those bums go into schools, I'm just telling you, watch out. I feel like maybe we'd sold some books, and now we've gone back into sort of negative numbers. No, we, <laughs> we will. We will cut this part out. The other. Um, the other thing that I'm really um, proud about the book is it's illustrated by a friend of mine that I went to school with. She's called Sarah Davis, and even when we were at high school, she was already brilliant. And it's so exciting to uh, have written a book and she's done her pictures in it. Well, if anybody has a child or knows a child, uh, this book is for them. Uh, how, what's the age range? Seven plus. Seven plus. Uh, so buy that when you're buying that F word and really screw up your Amazon. <laughs> Yes. Oh, people, who, people who like that F word also like George and the Great Barbastars. <laughs> do, do you have any more books about feminist buttocks? <laughs> there must be some. And before we close, we've got a charity of the week. Uh, hi everyone, I'm from Endometriosis New Zealand. Um, <laughs> So 
So uh, endometriosis is basically the big, long, hard to say name, um, but we also call it endo quite commonly. Um, it's a truly nasty condition affecting more than 120,000 New Zealanders and one in 10 women worldwide. It can start from a girl's first period. The symptoms include bad periods, excruciating pain, uh, bowel symptoms, pain with sex, infertility. It can also affect mental health. So we really need to talk about it more because it means it can seriously affect our relationships, partners and families. Um, there's probably not one person in this room who hasn't been affected by it in some way, whether you know it or not, either personally, um, someone you know. Uh, even Marilyn Monroe had it. Um, it's been talked about quite recently that she had to put in her contracts that she wouldn't uh, film when she was on her period because the pain was so unbearable. It takes eight plus years to get a diagnosis in this country due to a lack of awareness. So I just let that sink in, eight years before you know what's happening with your body. And there's very little resource as well for this uh, female condition. So Endometriosis New Zealand has a fantastic Facebook page um, and there's a donate button on that. Or um, if you have some cash with you tonight, I'll have a bucket um, that you can put some money in. Endo gets zero government funding in this country, so your money would have a real impact towards supporting our education and schools program to educate youth about endo and to support the many women suffering. Thank you so much. So you came to the show tonight, you've paid for your ticket, there's no obligation, but it sounds like an amazing cause and if you have anything to put in the bucket, it would be very much appreciated. If you are in Australia, obviously this is not for you people who are actually physically here, uh, but if you are listening from Australia, uh, I will be on tour with my show Gifted Underachiever. If you are also oh, listening to this nice. in the early part Why of 2019. Why don't you bring it to Auckland as part of the tour? Because they would all come. Absolutely! Yeah. 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 What are you doing? Always bloody leave us out, you people You're who are to Australia. Oh, this has gone well. <laughs> Uh, Jeff, could you organise that, please? Would you, would you see Carl do her show if she came yeah. in? All right. I'm going to get all of your email addresses after the show. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to do this as my cat. <clears throat> Follow the Guilty Feminist on Twitter at GuiltFemPod. Check out our Instagram, instagram.com slash the guilty feminist. I love tuna. <laughs> Please keep scratching my chinny chin chin. Like our Facebook page, sign up to our mailing list, ooh, a mouse, to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. <laughs> Please go to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe. It helps other people find the podcast. You can also donate tins of tuna. <laughs> and could you please follow me at DebraFW on Instagram? I'm DFDubs, D-U-B-Z. I also have a book called The Guilty Feminist. Uh, which is doing quite well. Somebody, somebody's waving it. Would you like me to sign it? Okay, I'll come out to the foyer and sign it. Yeah, I'll go, you're, is that Gabriel? <laughs> is that a different man? Yeah, that was Gabriel. Well, Gabriel. Well done, Gabriel. Well, you um, tell your mate. <laughs> um, and where, 
can we find you on social media or is there anything else you'd like to plug? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me at Lizzie Marvley on Twitter, um, Lizzie Marvley on Facebook, and at Lizzie Marvley on Instagram. And all of the villainesses are the villainess at the, the villainess. villainess. Okay, great. We will look those up. You have been listening to the Guilty Feminist with me! daughter's going to be called. <laughs> um, Magnesia, stop hitting your sister. <laughs> Shabanthony. <laughs> All right. Hello, everybody. One last thing before you go. Amnesty International and The Guilty Feminist have revived the legendary secret policeman comedy brand. And we are doing shows across the UK, but also weekly Truth to Power Hour. Friday, 3 p.m. British time for an hour, we are going to blitz a human rights issue. So follow at Amnesty UK or go to amnesty.org.uk at that time and you will find details about it you're going to be able to really make a difference because we're all going to get together at exactly the same time. So if you're in the UK or a region that can reasonably reach out at that time, get involved. 3pm Truth to Power Hour. Also, we've got some shows coming up. Tonight, The Guilty Feminist is at the BFI and we've only just put it on sale, so there are still a few tickets left. Unusually, I know it's crazy. Tonight, we're featuring a doc about the environment, all done by women. Absolutely incredible. And my guest co-host is Alison Spittle. Also coming up, we have a show at the South Bank on the 10th of August and the Edinburgh Festival Guide is out and you'll be able to see in there that we are at the Pleasance Grand on the 2nd to the 4th of August and the Secret Policeman's Tour is appearing at the Edinburgh Playhouse on the 24th of August. Get tickets now because those are all going to go. I also wanted to let you know, while Amelia is over, sadly... You can see Claire Perkins in Sweat, a Pulitzer Prize winning play at the Gilgood Theatre in London right now. And you can also see her at the Royal Albert Hall doing the final speech for Amelia. Get tickets now. Do not wait. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.